Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini. Join us here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple, Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, PodServe, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. Try explaining the Big Bang to kids. It's what James Titmus does, bringing his science and engineering background to enlighten children through his many books on everything from space to wastewater treatment. His latest book, The Engineer Thing. Good morning, Greenling. Good morning, James Titmus. How are you? I'm fine. Great. This is Alice calling for for our interview. Yes, today. I recognize your voice. Really? Yeah. Well, we've done this once before. This isn't our first rodeo, is it, James? <laughs> your newest book is the Engineer Thing. Well, the Engineer Thing. It's the last. It's the most current one that's out for marketing. It's about a family discussion night when everyone in the family can talk about their concerns in a confidential setting. And the children come to understand that they are allowed to question things that bother them. And there's the teachers about a mutually supportive extended family, several generations that live together in their home. They learn parents and grandparents can be a library of knowledge for them, which is something that might be missing uh, these days. Um, but on that particular evening, the Children were bothered by the teachings. They heard about a big bang or explosion that was causing the heavens to keep flying apart. And this is about the stars and galaxies, their energy, their light, and their movements, that sort of thing. I, it's, it seems a little complex, but uh, children get stories that are just like the tip of the iceberg. They sometimes want to go a little bit deeper. But more to the point, the book talks about there may be more than one explanation for what they see. They could see the result or the effect, but may not understand what's causing those things. The relationship part ventures into what's called cause and effect. And the interesting thing the children are taught that one of the things they hear about that light rays are known to bend around stars and possibly galleries too. And they learn that there can be questions without an answer. It's that bending just gravity or mass or velocity or distortion of time or magnetism, electric charge, maybe a combination or some of all of those things. They come to appreciate that light is an amazing thing and it can travel for a billion years and still form an image. As people don't really think about that sort of thing, but if, it, if it's, there's a question in a child's mind, that would be the time to try to uh, consider some answers. Um, and specifically, to teach children that there can be more than one explanation, and there can be alternate uh, things that they might want to be able to consider. People have studied and presented their ideas about things in science and engineering for years, and there can be more than one idea. One idea might be the more things the light goes by, like stars or galaxies, the greater the shift in the color of light rays. They heard that uh, the further away something is, the light looks redder because that um, star or galaxy is, is moving away from you. But there might be another explanation. Um, 
that they can change light rays by going around a mass, just like a light ray gets bent. In internet checks, if we could see beyond, the question that the children ask, if they could see beyond the beyond, way, way out, further than we can see now, um, they might find that something has shifted even further than red. And it's not really the edge of the universe. There's something might be further out there, deeper and deeper. It may even be heat rays, or it may have turned to even microwaves or something like that. That seems kind of complex, but uh, still, <laughs> young people have all kinds of questions, and they seem to pop up all the right. time. And, and you like explaining things to children, don't you? We try to, try to put it in words that they might understand. But I think the most important language is that, and the important teaching is that they understand that don't just take one solution. A lot of those things are theories, and theories change from time to time. I've seen many theories in my lifetime that have changed 180 right. degrees. And then the people stop and then they change their mind again. And then it's something else that's causing right. it. This sort right. of thing. Just when you think you know, you don't know. Right? <laughs> well, that's part of the focus. In the book itself, they talk about, the grandfather talks about the fact that there's some things that he doesn't know. And sometimes the children need to learn that it's important to know what you don't know. And there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with saying, what's your idea or what are the other possibilities? Because there may be a lot more than one. Um, yeah, the, the other things that they talk about, things like the light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like it's incredibly fast. But if you consider how large the universe is, in this book, the grandmother says, well, given the distances involved, light should really be considered a slow pokey. If it takes 100 million years to just go by one galaxy, it must be incredibly slow. But, to, but, but where we are, 186,000 miles a second sounds like it's incredibly fast. Like um, even electricity travels that much. And when one of the boys asks, well, if the electricity goes back and forth, how many times does it go back and forth from our house to the power plant? And it goes like, you know, it's not in this particular story, but it may go back and forth a thousand times every second. So um, numbers and things that uh, seem out of place or seem like a strange they have to be considered in a relative fashion. For instance, the thing that's so difficult to understand, the effect on the light ray would have to be even a small iota of a force that is causing the light to bend. If it has 100 million years to get past a galaxy, that's a lot of time for even a small amount of force to actually make a difference. Being able to say, I don't know for sure, it's not a bad thing. In the books, uh, in the website, JBJ, that's the letters, jbjbooks.com. Um, and one of the children's favorite questions in almost every book is why? Why are things the way they are? Why do such things happen? And frankly, I hope that children never stop asking, is they need to reach out and study the business of cause and effect and that kind of thing. Uh, 
the engineering thing uh, kind of delves in or uses the this business of the Big Bang. Uh, I mean, you tell the children there's a big explosion, the universe is flying apart. Uh, in the book, they had concerns about that, but nobody really gave them much of an explanation. But there may be an alternative to that. And it might not be expanding. Matter of fact, it may, in one of the things, uh, Oma, the grandmother, um, shows them an image on a computer where parts of the universe are coming toward us and parts are going away. And one of the boys looks at his donut that's half eaten and he says, that looks, that picture on the screen looks like my donut. And there may be a swirl or an eddy of galaxies, a swarm of galaxies that are moving in this donut-shaped pattern that you can see when they plot where the heavens are moving about. Now, that may be orbiting something. All these galaxies may be in a swarm that's going around something, or it may be an eddy on the branch of a stream, like you sometimes see a little whirlpool as a river goes along. But the thought of a river of galaxies moving someplace is really weird. But we now we have this new beautiful space telescope, this Weber scope, that can see far beyond what we could see before, just last year. And every time we see deeper in the universe, we see stranger and stranger things. Like there is evidence now that there may be a complete river of galaxies moving from where we are into some deep spot. We're not entirely sure where it's going. We can't see the end of it. And that's part of the problem. We can only see so far. And there's a lot, every time we get a new telescope, the universe gets a little bigger, it gets a little older. But we've taken a great leap on that uh, most recently with the newest equipment. And they may go beyond that. Uh, we get two or three of those up there, we may find out that we can see even deeper. Right. Uh, James, um, the last book we talked about was uh, the Dusty, was it the Dusty Water book? Yes, that's correct. All right. And um, have we talked about any of your other books? I don't think uh, so. I, no, we haven't. Because uh, we've got the Rickety Rocket. We've got the Density Stone, the Galumpy Board. And all of these right. are, are, you know, you have this extensive background, right, in science, correct? In engineering. Well, every, every engineer is actually a scientist. Our degrees are in science. Right. And so you are able to take that information and talk to kids about it, which is not well, easy. Well, I'm 85 years old, but I'm still a kid. <laughs> well, there you go. That explains it. Yeah. That explains uh, it. The two newest ones uh, that are going to be coming out next uh, week or so will be um, uh, on... Well, one of them is actually on uh, railroads and uh, the design and the history of railroads. It's called the Slittery Rails. And the other one will be the Stoyer Layers. It's a, a story about one of, uh, well, it's actually one of my ancestors that happened to be a captain in the Revolutionary War uh, on the American side. So, <laughs> <laughs> good uh, to know. Yeah. But, um, uh, I want uh, to kind of expand their uh, 
knowledge and thinking of time and space, but the, the children can grasp it. And sometimes you don't know right away that they have grasped the idea, but they'll put some of the ideas and thoughts together and build on their own knowledge base. And that's not wrong. Um, but I'd love to hear when they, as someone says, well, why does this do that? A lot of times we know that some it does something, or we might even know how it's doing something, but we don't know why it's doing something. And that's one of the most important questions of all. And sometimes that can't be answered. True. Are you ever sitting in a group? Would you ever allow yourself to read to a group of children and, and allow them to ask you questions? Do you do that at all? Uh, I just finished a, uh, a hour and a half seminar with the Engineers Foundation of Ohio last year where um, we had some 400 engineers in. in uh, I made a presentation on one of my patent groups and there was an extensive uh, question and answer period. Uh, and those are fun. And I bet. The one that uh, actually had the best questions was a seminar that I did in Abuja in Nigeria. Some of those engineers' questions were actually better than some of the ones I got in Ohio. They've had a lot of problems that come up that um, where people sell them something and it doesn't work. And um, a lot of their engineers were trained in England and in the United States. And quite frankly, there was no shortage of intellectual capability in that meeting. I was very impressed. Do you ever put yourself in front of little kids? Uh, not in um, a group-like setting. Uh, I have done a few um, visitations at high schools, but those um, boys and girls are... You know, 16, 17, 18 years old, that's different than talking to a group that is, say, between, say, six, seven years and 12 years, that age group. But they're fascinating to work with if you can, but I don't have any pictures of that. Well, I, you know what? All people have to do is go to your website at jbjbooks.com and they can see all of your books and they can hear your interviews too so that's awesome yeah they'll they, um we're putting them online um the video Great. ones are a little complicated because they run some 280 megabytes which is a big Ooh. file for the uh, yeah. thing but the uh, um some of my some of my lectures and q a with uh, the engineering groups, the engineering foundation, are on a different website. Uh, okay. But um, that's not that that one. Uh, unfortunately, might have flown over the head of some of the engineers, so it might not be suitable for young children. Okay. <laughs> All right, listen, James. You have a great day. Thank you, you, you so too. much. Thank you. And bye. -bye. bye. Daryl Baker has fulfilled a lifelong dream and embarked on his desire to bring people together with his first published book, The Fish and the Frog Who Gets the Log. Hi, Daryl Baker. How are you? Oh, hey, how you doing? I'm all right. Where am I calling? <laughs> I'm in Indiana. Oh, what do you do there? I work at RV Dynasty. I actually am the warranty manager here. I make sure all the customers' warranties get uh, taken care of in a timely manner. But what made you decide to start writing? That's, that's actually childhood dream. I mean, I've been, literature has been, I've been a fan of literature and, and I've always 
a healthy writer since I can remember. I mean, even I hated school in general. I didn't want anything to do with school, math, couldn't stand it, science, I strayed away from it. But as soon as an English class would hit and a writing assignment was there, I mean, I was I was the only kid in third grade writing three or four pages. When did you decide it was time to write a book? College. And it honestly, it started as a an assignment. Um, you know, the the English teacher gave us an, uh, an assignment that basically was like, you know, she gave us free range. But she said at the same time, I want you to give it some moral, make it about yourself and, uh, you know, take it, let your imagination take over and, and go from there. How, so, long, how long ago <laughs> was that? <laughs> that was about 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago. So with that, you know, I, and whenever somebody tells me to write something, I really take it to heart. Um, and I think I, in my brain, I, I hold on to that a lot longer and I, I put a lot more thought than most people. So I slept on it and I had a dream about what would happen, you know, if a fish and a frog were to adventure away from their homes and what troubles they would have, you know, how they would overcome those troubles. How would they get help through those troubles and how could they work together? And I have four kids. So, you know, that kind of a topic is really important to me. And uh, that's where I woke up and I just, I laid it out in about two or three hours. I, I literally wrote down my dream. After you had four kids or back in college? Oh, this is much, way, way after four kids. I mean, I have. So you got this, that, you got this idea in college, but you didn't, you didn't really dream about it becoming a reality until fairly recently. No, um. After my college teacher read it, because I turned in the assignment, um, I never thought of it about, about it being a book. And I turned it in. Um, I laid it out like a book. But when I turned it in, she came up to me and she was like, look, if you don't get this published, then that's your fault because this needs to be on the shelf. And that's what gave me the idea to make the book. I was I, I never thought that I could be an author. I never, you know, who would have thought? Um, so that's when I started looking into it. And, you know, it's it's unrealistically hard to find a publisher that you could trust. Oh, OK. So, OK. So you but, went through this whole process 10 years ago. You got the idea. Yes. You slept on it. You woke up. You laid it out. And it's taken you this long to get a publisher. It hasn't taken me this long to get a publisher. Finding the publisher was quite easy. Once I really dug my heels in, a lot of what stopped me was fear. Yeah. Um, I, sometimes I can be my own worst enemy. Yep. And, you know, you, you start to think, cause, cause this is my baby. You know, I, I wrote this, I put my heart into it. I really care for this more than a lot of people would actually understand. Like I hold my books in my hand and I'm like, I did this. And, and then you start getting into your head. You're like, well, what if everybody hates it? What if nobody buys it? <laughs> what if they start reading it? And, and they're like, Ew, Oh, I can't believe. Oh, well, I guess it was a good job. So I'm like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. And after a while, my wife was like, look, you either just get it done or don't. You, you got to make the choice. So I finally said, you know what? I'm going to do it. And I found a publisher that that really worked with me well. And uh, and there I went. I, I was just tired of saying no to myself. That's great. That's great. Did What's the story? Can you give me a little little idea? So the title... The title of the book is The Fish and the Frog, Who Gets the Log? 
Um, and it's basically about a story of a fish and a story of a frog who both leave their, their parents' nests. Um, they venture off on their own through the pond because they want to find their own homes. Um, and throughout their travels, they keep running into different issues. You know, they, you know, the fish will find this home, the, the frog will find this home, but there's always either somebody moving there or living there or, you know, either way, there's, it just doesn't work for them. You know, it might be too shallow for the fish, might be too deep. You know, there's, there's always some kind of obstacle that's stopping them from choosing that as a home. And, um, you know, they, they meet somebody along the way who is a little older, a little wiser, and they, he helps them kind of balance their thoughts, um, helps them find their home. There's another obstacle, you know, weather is an obstacle and everything like that. So he, he basically teaches them how to use that as an advantage. Um, and it's just kind of the wildlife in the book represents humans and, and how we could even use these disasters to to aid each other instead of to work against each other and that's the whole point of the book is is moralistically i want to start bringing people back together because i think somewhere along the way we forgot that you think yeah are you feeling that because i don't think i don't think anybody yeah. else is yeah it's pretty heavy in the it's air it's pretty heavy in the air it's pretty sad i it's pretty sad it it is and you know i i i really i truly hope that and pray that this becomes a success that way i can continue with my dreams of having a multi-book series oh so this continues i would love it to yes do your kids like it have you read it to your kids my kids love it my kids were with me the whole time they were they were helping me design um the the animals they were helping me with names um, I didn't do anything without, you know, if, if I was submitting the look of one of my characters, I didn't do it without approval from my <laughs> kids. It was very important to me to get their perspective because they're kids. How old are they? Um, I have, I, I've got a wide range of them. I go anywhere from nine to 20. Nine to 20. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Good for you. So yeah. they were all involved on this. So were they able to, you know, tell their friends and. I'm currently, my, my nine-year-old, it was funny because my nine-year-old uh, went up to the librarian and he said, my dad wrote a book. You should put it in this library. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> He's an author. Everywhere he goes, he'll, we were sitting, I remember my two sons and I were, you know, I took him out to lunch um, and we were sitting there and a lady at the table or one of our waitresses had purchased about six of them, oh. uh, one for each of her grandchildren. And she came up to me and, you know, she was, she asked for an autograph. So I signed the books and she was asking me a lot of the questions, you know, if I'm going to make any more. And, you know, my nine-year-old kind of, when, when the opportunity came to speak, he goes, I'm so proud of my dad. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just moments like that. It's like, man, what a, what a right decision to make in life. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You want your kids to be so, proud of yeah. you. Of course. There's, I mean, that's, that's the best feeling in the world is when your kids look at you and, and say, my dad right. did that. Are you able to go into their schools and read it to their friends or, you know, how are you getting the word out? I want to start, I'm, I'm, I'm actually still, so again, comes the fear thing. <laughs> so where I'm trying to work around my fear to get over that. Um, I currently reached out to the superintendent of the school to try to see what we can do 
So that is in the works. It's not something that's happening right now, um, but it is in the works. I want to try to get into the school, you know, maybe have some of those days. Um, I, I know from my previous jobs, I'm actually close friends with some of the radio personalities out here. I want to try to see if I can, uh, you know, get them on my side and promote the book and everything like that. So I've got a few things in the work. My daughter is now going to college for business. So I want to, which is the same thing what I went to business for. So I want to try to get her to do a lot of it, not only to help her with school, but, you know, to also promote the book and everything like that, because she's, she's very proud of it as well. I mean, I had her do a lot of the editing and a lot of, you know, the, the reading and the approvals and everything. She was more of the adult end of it because she was, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. Um, my, you know, my youngest, he did a lot of the choosing of the pictures. And so it's, it's kind of a family event, a family affair. And yeah, it's got, you're, you should have sent those kids out to read those books. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Then you don't have to worry about right. it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's a, it's a great story, a great lesson for your children. Yeah, it's, it's I hope. And, and like I said, I, I really hope my kids, you know, hold this with them for a lifetime. I hope so, too. What a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate you calling. You have a great day. Keep writing, and I'll talk to you again. How's that? I will do. I will do. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Atlas Stockton Rossini. We hope to see you back here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.